You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Let's now turn our attention to God's Word. Uh, You know we've been looking at the signs of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and now we are in John chapter 9. Uh, Turn with me to John chapter 9. We'll start in verse 1. We'll go to 12, and then you'll see me skip down to verse 32 uh, to the end of the chapter. And so we're just going to get a couple chunks of scripture here. Uh, You can follow along, and I'll give you some direction on when uh, when we do move around. Starting John chapter 9 in verse 1. And this is speaking of Jesus. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who was sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Let's go to verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is God's word. First movie I ever saw, The Wizard of Oz. No, I didn't see it when it came out. That was in 1938. Thank you very much. Classic story, right? Classic story. Dorothy caught in a tornado, hits her head, falls into a deep dream. And the characters in that dream all represent real life people in her life that had impact on her life, right? The wizard is the doctor, the scarecrow lion and the tin man. These are all kind of these friends that worked on the farm with her. The wicked witch is the grumpy neighbor next door. The good witch is the, of the North is Annie M. And Toto is Toto, right? Toto doesn't change. He's the same. <clears throat> Hope I didn't spoil the twist for you. It came out like 80 some years ago. But the characters are, 
the characters in her dream, all the characters in her dream represent uh, people that were like them. Not actual people in real life, but people that, that had similarities to and represented real life characters that had impact on her life. And the more you watch the movie and you kind of understand this story and you understand the characters, you begin to see these beautiful characteristics of all the characters and the impact that they had on Dorothy in her real life. You, you, see the, the, you see the tin man and the scarecrow and the, and, and the, and the, the cowardly lion, and you see all of their, their personalities and the way that they personally impacted Dorothy in her life to be a blessing to her. But they weren't exactly like them. They were kind of representatives of the real life characters. Something like this is happening in this passage. Jesus takes a, a real person. He takes a real suffering. He takes a literal blindness, and he uses it to talk about another kind of suffering, another kind of blindness, another kind of difficulty, and a truer sense of what it means to actually see clearly. And he offers a truer sense of of healing for the suffering that we encounter. And through this story, Jesus is going to show us uh, and help us to explore through this man's blindness and healing Uh, three really important things. One, a reason why we suffer. We're going to see the work of God in the midst of our suffering, and we're going to see a way to find true sight in our lives. These are so important for us. Let it meet you in your life today. The first thing we want to look at is a reason or the reason for suffering. Now, this is a tough point. This is a tough point because it's, it's not an easy topic. Um, and when we encounter suffering, we, we tend to, to address our suffering uh, in ways to, to find comfort just through logical thinking. Like, what is the point of this suffering? What will it yield in my life? Why has it come to me? And how do I fix it? Consider the suffering of this man born blind from birth. Spent his whole life without sight. Never being able to see. He was a beggar, having to sit outside the gates of these towns, begging for food and money, He is an outcast in the community. Others could see. Why couldn't he see? Others God had given sight. Why did not God give him sight? He was, was it because he was cursed? Was it some kind of divine punishment? Was it just chance? Was it one of these things, sometimes just bad things happen and there's no real logical reason why things happen to somebody. Sometimes we can feel that way and say that, that sort of things just to kind of ease the pain. Has anyone ever offered that kind of comfort to you? Saying, you know, there really is no reason for this. Sometimes bad things just happen and there's nothing we can do about it. You know, the disciples seem to struggle with this kind of logical problem as well. They wanted an answer. Here's this man, God, make sense of this. God is good and God is true and God is blessing Make sense of this then. Whose fault is this? Did he sin? Did he get himself in his trouble? Or is it his parents, right? It's always the parents, right? And so they're struggling. They operated on this false assumption that such suffering was the result of this man's sins or the sins of somebody else. And Jesus says, neither. Neither of those things are the reason for this man's suffering. And Jesus introduces to his disciples a third category for how we can understand 
suffering in our life that they had never thought of yet. I want you to consider how you might think of this category as well, how you might think of suffering in your life. What categories would you put suffering that you've experienced into? If you've ever wondered, why do bad things happen to good people? You may have fallen into this logical argument just like the disciples have fallen into. If you've ever said, you know, he's such a great person, he doesn't deserve to suffer so much. You may fall into the same kind of logical argument. If you've ever thought she has such good parents, I can't believe she turned out the way she did. Now, we have plenty of biblical examples throughout personal history that sometimes personal suffering is the result of personal sin. But Jesus wants to introduce another category of suffering for you as well. And it's the category of this, so that the works of God would be revealed in you. And I wonder how often you've considered that category in the midst of your suffering. That this suffering has come to you so that the works of God would be revealed. So that he would have a conduit to bring his greatest purposes of joy in your life. Only God knows why you suffer, why you truly suffer. Only God knows why you truly go through the things that you go through. But the promise of God is that he brings about his good out of everything that causes us suffering in life. God uses the worst pain. He uses the most confusing events. He uses the deepest senses of loneliness and suffering in our life to bring about ultimately a good work in us. One of my least favorite quotes, I usually share my good ones, this is my least favorite, (laughs) is uh, unfortunately it's probably true though. And I say least because it's just difficult to, it's difficult to embrace, but I think it is true. Uh, by American pastor A.W. Tozer from about 100 years ago, and he says, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man or woman greatly until he has wounded them deeply. That's a hard saying. It's a hard thing to hear. It's a hard thing to to encounter and and to walk into. And and imagine uh, this man that is born blind. Now we're given this story, and it seems that there's this conversation happening in very close proximity. Now this man is not deaf. He can hear. And I wonder if he's actually hearing this conversation and the disciples pass him and he can hear them and he hears the conversation. Jesus, who's to blame for this? And, and Jesus just replies, no one is to blame. This man has been born blind because he is the object of God's love. How soul crushing would that be for that man? Oh, I'm in this situation because God loves me. Man, what kind of love is that? What kind of blessing is that? It's so hard and that's why Jesus wants to, he needs to introduce this category for us in our life. That that he rarely will do a wonderful thing in our lives until he wounds us greatly. The point is this, if you and I were in control of our lives and we were able to, to, to carry out all the purposes of our lives, we would never write suffering into our stories, right? We would never write inconvenience. We would never write pain. We would never write struggle. 
we would, we would simply just grow every day. We would be born and then we would just grow every day. And we would be able to resist ungodly temptations and habits. We would wake up each morning, put on the full armor of God, close ourselves with the character of Christ, and things would just go well. But we don't do that, right? We desire holiness, but we, we, we also, we pursue unrighteousness. And Jesus wants his disciples to know this, no matter what suffering comes our way, it is never outside of the control and purpose of God in us. Do you have a category for that? Do you have a category to comprehend that whatever comes your way, it is never outside of the control and purposes of God in you? He needs his disciples to know this. He needs for us to know this because in this world, we will have struggle. We will have pain. We will have things happen to us that we have no logical reason for or answer to. That God uses suffering according to his most beautiful wisdom and love and care for us to prepare us to receive the great display of his affection and good. And we don't logically know how that works. And so he confronts this with the disciples and he kind of shows us this is, how, this is what's gonna happen. This man is going to be a conduit because of his suffering. He is going to be a conduit of the greatest joy he can ever know that will overshadow all the worst discomfort of his life. And then he says, let me show you. Let's do it right now. What are these works? So he says, this, is, this has happened so that the works of God will be displayed in his life. What are these works? Jesus shows us and he moves on to the second point. He says, let's talk about the works of God, the works that God de desires to display in each of us through our suffering. What happens is this next special touch of Jesus Christ in this man's life. And it comes right after, Jesus is about to touch this man and change his life forever. And it comes right after saying, this is happening in order to display the works of God in this blind man. Everything that Jesus is about to do is so cool, so neat. It displays in such beautiful fashion something of the purposes that God has for this blind man. And we need to dig into it a little bit to really see. Think about this. We are in the signs of Jesus. We've been in now six weeks, right? Six weeks looking at all the different signs of Jesus. We've seen Jesus do some wonderfully miraculous, powerful things that go against all logic and reason. He turns water into wine just by thinking about it. He heals a boy that is sick that's 20 miles away just with a word. He resurrects Lazarus with just a command from the dead. He multiplies bread uh, with, pr with just prayer to feed the multitudes and thousands of people. He tells, and we learned this last week, he causes a man who has dis been disabled and unable to walk for 38 years, he, said, he cures him just by saying, get up and walk, and the man walks. And yet Jesus does something so much more complicated now. Why doesn't Jesus just say, open your eyes? Couldn't Jesus just say, open your eyes. And he would see, of course, we've seen such a great, you know, great works of Jesus. He's able to do that. Couldn't he just say, you know, blink twice and be healed? Couldn't he say, you know, how many fingers am I holding up? And he says, I don't know. I can't see. And Jesus say, try again. <laughs> and he's just like, you get the point. He can do all of that, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he goes through this series of deliberate and strange steps all for a purpose. 
And that purpose is to illustrate the kind of work that God desires to display in each of us. First, he makes mud with his spit. Pretty gross, really. Pretty gross. And it's gross for good reason. Imagine, okay, it's, it's March 2020. Okay? <clears throat> You've been told that disease can pass through the smallest of spit particles. Wash your hands and never under any circumstances whatsoever ever touch your hand to your mouth. Carry hand sanitizer with you like it's a block of gold. And here's Jesus just going around spitting on people's faces. It's disgusting. It's unsanitary. And, and for first century Palestinian Jews, it's even more so than just that. It is also a form of spiritual pollution. Spiritual uncleanness. Unclean, uh, yeah, you know, you get it. Uncleanliness. Saliva and human fluids like blood and saliva and menstruation were all ceremonially unclean and judged by the community and the Jewish law as things that would make a person dirty in the eyes of God. So Jesus takes a man born blind that those assume it's due to his unclean heart. It's because of his sin. That's what they're, they're operating off of the assumption. He takes this man who has become unclean in the eyes of God and the eyes of others. He takes something ceremonially dirty and filthy like spit and he makes it, uh, he makes a little clay in something literally dirty, like dirt, right? And with all of that, he makes something good. I'm going to take an unclean man and an unclean liquid with an unclean dirt and all of this trauma, all of this dirtiness, all of this suffering, I'm going to make something good with it. It's exactly what he's wanting to communicate to this man about how God views suffering and the actual works that he desires to do in him. He said, you will see suffering as a curse. You will see that this thing has come to you because God must just he must be so disappointed with you. He must have just be so distant from you. And this has come to you because he just doesn't care. Thinking that, that your life is hard because of some degree of uncleanliness, some impurity in your life. But the work of God through Jesus Christ is to bring his good purposes through all of that. He reverses the taboo that spit and dirt and suffering are all dirty. And he turns them into something that heals. That's why Jesus comes to us. That's why Jesus has come into the world. This is why he died for our sins, to take unclean hearts, to make them new, to take blind hearts, to make them see, those that are moving in the opposite direction, to draw them near. He takes suffering that seems to have no purpose and he makes good out of it. And that good is to display the, the love of God for, for sinful and suffering people. I mean, moms know the power of spit, right? I mean, can you imagine anybody spitting on something and wiping something off your mouth other than like your mom? No, but moms know. It gets out, gets out 
permanent marker off of couches. You just spit on it. But I digress. Then Jesus tells him, so that's the first thing, is Jesus saying, look at all these dirty things. Look at all these things that push us away from God. Suffering, spit, which is ceremonially unclean and unfit for the people of God, and dirt, which is obviously filthy. filthy. And now he says, now go wash. Now go wash off. But, but, but very specifically, go wash off, wash off this, you know, the spit goo from your eyes and come back. Again, a completely unnecessary step. We've already learned Jesus can say, just be healed. But he's going through these unnecessary steps. They feel unnecessary, but again, it's a description of what God desires to work in us. Siloam, we are told that the, the, the pool of Siloam, it means scent. It also has deep significance for the Jewish people for generations. Again, it's a pool that is fed by a, a, a natural aqueduct that is uh, flowing with clean water. And this water has a certain purification uh, purpose to it. God's people were commanded to, uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles, a very special celebration for God's people, to use water directly from this pool as water that purifies, as a symbol for their purification before God. And they were, they were used this water to symbolize their communion with God, their friendship and relationship with God, their obedience to God, and to be renewed spiritually in their lives as they engage in God's um, rituals. In the Old Testament, God even rebuked uh, the Israelite people for not doing exactly what he prescribed with the water from the pool of Siloam. We are told that the Israelites rejected the water of Siloam and God punished them for it. And now all of these colorful metaphors and symbols are all coming together to describe the mission and ministry of Jesus and the works of God that Jesus says he desires to accomplish in us. Jesus is the one who is sent into the world. He is the one who is sent into the world to bring the saving work of God for sinners and sufferers. And while we may reject, many will reject him, we are to receive him and and believe in him. All of these beautiful, colorful metaphors are coming together. He is saying people for generations have rejected this water that brings cleanliness to their hearts. But you go to that water and you wash off and you will be healed. And Jesus is wrapping this all together. He said, this is why I've come. Cleanliness of your hearts, forgiveness of your sins, purpose in your suffering, sight to eyes that have been blinded, to know and see God and to embrace him and to have fellowship with him. All of this is happening through me. And he's saying, don't let it pass you by. Don't reject it like many have rejected me before. Many in this passage are rejecting him still. They're rejecting him as the one who he says he is. And this is the testimony of the man who was born blind. I went, I washed, I saw. That's his testimony. I went, I washed, and I saw. This is an amazing event. An an amazing event as it is. Up to this point in this man's healing, 
there is something that is still deeply lacking. Now, if we stopped this, this passage would be so awesome. We would learn so much about Jesus. We would learn about what he accomplishes in us, what he desires to show us about who he is and what he wants to do in our lives and why he came. This man has received sight, but up until this point, he doesn't know who gave it to him. He can see physically, but he still doesn't know the gospel that saves. He doesn't know Jesus. And apart from knowing Jesus, he still remains blind to, in a certain way, in a, in a more important way. He doesn't know. People asked him, who did this? He said, I don't know. Where is he? Who knows? He confesses this beautiful reality. I, and we even sing songs about it, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. He's talking physically though at this point. And as beautiful as it is, he has yet to truly believe in Jesus because he doesn't know Jesus. There's a physical sight that he has obtained, but there's a spiritual blindness that still remains. And it's in this blindness, uh, blindness that Jesus makes a point to heal next. How do we get this sight? How do we really get this sight that opens up the hearts of uh, uh, the eyes of our hearts to see and know Jesus and really become made new? Here's how we find true sight. Let's look at this final point. Jesus heals this man. He sees him for the first time. Uh, he comes back, right? So he goes to the pool. He is healed. He sees for the first time. He comes back to where Jesus was. Jesus is gone. I don't know where he went. Meanwhile, the Jewish leaders have determined that anyone who defends this person, Jesus, is going to be kicked out of the community of faith. They're going to be kicked out of the synagogue. They're going to be kicked out of church. So this man is kicked out for fellowship. He's kicked out for worship. And he's still never seen Jesus, but he's talking about him. And so Jesus finds this man and he says, do you believe the one who did this is the son of God? Meaning, do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in what uh, the promise of God to, to send forgiveness into the world, to send rescue, to send salvation, not just to our physical blindness, but also to our deeper need in our soul? Do you believe that the one sent from God to save us from sins and give us eternal life, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, well, yeah, but tell me who he is so that I may believe in him. He doesn't say, who is he so that I can just know who he is? He says, tell me who he is so I can believe. Who do I give credit to for this new life that I have received? Who do I give credit to for this new sight? Who do I put my trust in for opening my eyes? Who do I rest in for forgiveness of sins? Who can I look to for the removal of guilt and isolation? Who can I look to for real belonging? Who can I thank? And Jesus says, he's talking to you right now and you see him for the first time ever. What an amazing thing to encounter for this man. And the man throws himself on his face and worships Jesus. Here in this moment, a lifetime of suffering feels worth it. It's hard to say to someone in the midst of their suffering, isn't it? It's really hard to say. It's easy to see at the end of it when we see all the questions that we have answered, when we see all of the brokenness healed. It's so easy to see 
I would do it all again to get what I have in Jesus. But in the midst of it, you want a logical answer to your suffering. You want to make sense of it. But this man sees now that his suffering has brought about the work of God in his life that can never be taken away. And he is so humbled and so thankful, he falls down on his face and worships. I bet he spent a lot of days with his head on the ground for different reasons, right? In sorrow, with no tears left to cry, and now his face is on the ground again, but for different reason. Fullness of joy and gratitude. You know what the man didn't say, which is interesting. Jesus says, do you want to know the man who created, do you want to know God who created you and loves you? He says, yeah, show me who he is. I'm here, right? He, he, the, the, the blind man doesn't say, God sent you? Well, tell me this, why did he make me blind my whole life? This wasn't on his mind. He wasn't accusing God for a lifetime of pain. He wasn't shaking his fist. What he saw was he had been healed and God had healed him. He was able to see in the midst of his suffering the loving hand of God that was preparing him to receive the rest in the work of God. And Jesus says he's working while it is day, but night is coming when he will not work. Do you notice that interesting, interesting phrase there? Why don't we close talking about that? It's important for us. Jesus is saying he's, he's going about work and he is the light of the world and he is proclaiming the gospel and he is healing uh, physical sickness. He is raising people from the dead. It's all pointing to a, a spiritual reality of what the work of God is for sinners and sufferers like you and I. And it is for us to, to go and to, to look at Jesus, to rest in him, to believe in him, to trust in him. And from that will come like the, the beauty of the work of God in us to rescue and save us. We will be able to commune with God in, in great friendship and closeness. But Jesus is saying, but be careful because there will be a time when it'll be too late to believe. There will come a time when it's too late and the night will come and there'll be a time when those who are blinded by their own arrogance will never be able to escape the punishment of their sin. The time will come when Jesus returns and those who have rejected him and failed to believe in him, they will be punished for their sins and their, their hearts will re, remain hard. And those who believe in him, who worship him, who trust in him, who embrace his mercy and grace for their lives, they will be ushered into eternal joy with God. Good news is for you and I, for now, the light of the world has come. And the good news of the gospel continues to go forth, continues to uh, speak into our suffering, to offer hope for those who are hurting, to offer forgiveness for those who are suffering as a result of their sin or just because they don't know why. For now, Jesus says he is the light of the world and that he opens the eyes of the heart so that we can see him for who he really is. So when Jesus says, go and wash, 
He's really saying, come and see. Come to me and see where your hope rests. And the Jewish leaders look directly at Jesus, right? They're the ones that can see physically. They look directly at Jesus. They see him, they hear him personally, and they don't worship him. And Jesus says, you're the blind ones. You're blind. But those who are blind, who wish to see, will be given sight. And those who have sight, who remain blind in sin, they'll be blind forever. The blind man is given sight to his eyes and new sight in his heart to see Jesus for who he is. And now he worships him. That is always the response of one who sees Jesus for who he is. It's always worship. It's always gratitude. It is always a life of thanksgiving. It's always joy. So come and see. See him for who he really is. See what he's capable of doing in your life and for you in the midst of your suffering. He means to express the work of God. And it's beautiful. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.